Over the last several years, we've been seeing a massive transformation in our world and in our lives. And at Ultimate Guide to Partnering, we bring you the partnership leaders who are at the forefront of this industry, shaping the future of technology partnerships and driving the digital transformation. My next guest on Ultimate Guide to Partnering is a former Microsoft partner leader and now four-time guest who's been riding a rocket ship, leading the transformation and change we've all been seeing while applying a growth mindset to drive the partnership future for this magic quadrant leader. This is the ultimate guide to partnering, the top partnership podcast. In this podcast, Vince Minzione, a proven partner sales executive, shares his mission to help leaders like you achieve your greatest results through successful partnering. And now your host, Vince Minzione. Welcome to, or welcome back to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. I'm Vince Menzion, your host. And today, I welcome Brent Condes, is the vice president at UiPath the market leader in robotic process automation, RPA. RPA allows organizations to automate many business and software application tasks, helping organizations improve speed, productivity, while reducing errors and achieving scale. As an industry partnership leader and frequent guest, Brent is redefining UiPath's channel program, taking many of the lessons he learned at Microsoft, including a growth mindset. I hope you enjoy and learn from this discussion as much as I enjoyed welcoming back Brent Combest. I'm so excited to welcome Athletic Greens as the latest sponsor to Ultimate Guide to Partnering. Friends who know me well know I've made taking a green drink supplement part of my health ritual for over 20 years now. About five years ago, I added Athletic Greens, and now their product, AG1, has become my go-to green drink supplement. AG1 is packed with 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and aptogens. It literally has replaced every vitamin in my cabinet. If you'd like to give AG1 a try, Athletic Greens is giving away a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs with every new purchase. Check them out at athleticgreens.com forward slash Vince M. Brent, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Vince. Thanks so much for having me. I am so excited to welcome you back as a guest on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. This is your fourth appearance on this podcast. You're getting into a very elite group of people here. I'll tell you, I'm very flattered. Thanks so much for, for having me again. You are UiPath's Vice President for Global Channel Sales and Programs. For our listeners who may not know UiPath, can you tell us a little bit about your company, the role that you serve, and your mission? I love working for companies that have audacious missions. Microsoft certainly embodied that with its approach to wanting to empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more and one of the things that attracted me to UiPath was a very similar kind of goal, if you will, of accelerating human achievement. That's a big, lofty, ambitious statement that we, we take to market. And you know, that, that is very congruent to the type of a company that excites me and, and wakes me up every day to be inspired to come and, and to really leave a legacy and make an impact. And for us, 
we think about UiPath in this first year that I've been here, when, when I first joined, they said it'd be a lot like trying to ride a rocket ship. <laughs> and that's, that's very much been the, the case. It's been very true. One thing that this company is amazing at managing its way through is through transformation and, and change. The, the amount of innovation, the amount of being bold and humble and immersed and fast, which are our core values, it's just been fascinating to be a, a part of that. You know, the, the role that I have now, as you mentioned, is I, I lead our channel strategy and our go-to-market. And this channel here is about four years old for us. And there's about 6,000 odd members that are in that ecosystem today and, and growing every single month. When I think about our mission, I have great missions, they, they evolve over time. And, and to me, they really are intended to inspire the art of the possible. And for us, that concept of accelerating human achievement does that for both our partners and our customers. And the partners have seen a tremendous opportunity to come in and expand the solution portfolio of what they offer to customers and do some truly innovative and special things with their customers. So it's just been a fascinating place to be. I love what you have to say here. Accelerating human achievement is just so bold and out there. You talk about being on this rocket ship. I love that as well. I do feel like you have been on a rocket ship, driving change, driving transformation. But you said something else that really struck me, like bold, humble, and fast. What does that look like? The four values are bold, humble, fast, and immersed for us. I think they're great as an embodiment of where this company has come from and where we're going. Being bold is, it's all about in some cases, being fearless, being willing to challenge the status quo, to go after significant aspirational goals and, and to just go for it. And this company very much has that kind of at the core of the DNA of who we are. Being bold necessitates us to also balance that, though, with being humble and recognizing that we don't know everything and we're constantly looking to learn from not just each other, but our customers, our partners, and even analysts out there as we shape this new market. We're at that place in, in our journey of developing this market that Salesforce was at a long time ago. Microsoft has been at many times, but it's that kind of genesis or that still early phases of, of this sector and knowing and, and recognizing that we should have listening as a core skill of ours to make sure that we're taking in Every touch point of opportunity to learn is something that uh, I think embodies as well the culture of this company. So we're always in that mode of listening and being curious. And that really, to me, kind of embodies being humble. But at the same time, the market is moving really, really quickly. And having the ability to be fast in terms of not just being innovative and, and, and going out and creating new things, but also understanding the concept of how to fail fast and move on from that. That's something that I've, I've been impressed with. We now have close to 4,000 employees. And the bigger the company gets, having that capability of failing fast and moving on just becomes harder. But that's something that we really haven't lost. And then the last piece around truly being immersed, I think the culture of this company is unique in that every single person wants to deeply understand how we can be better, how we can develop a platform that changes the direction and trajectory of our customers and bring that into every single thing that we do. And a lot of times people, they don't take the time to balance being fast with really understanding the problem statement or the challenge or the opportunity that's at hand. And I think that we really do a great job. And that starts with our, our senior leaders of coming in and 
setting that tone that they want to be able to do all four of those things in concert together. And they just seem to really work well here. I love it. I love what you have to say here. Clearly innovative and fast. UiPath is a leader in this robotic process automation software category. So certainly Gartner thinks so. But for our listeners, can you explain the category and why UiPath is dominant in the space? Yeah. We've been very fortunate to be in the upper right of every quadrant that exists in the market out there today. And I think part of that is, you mentioned there the RPA category. I think one of the elements that those four values I talked about before are allowing us to do is even shape, define, and push that uh, category further. We actually think we're moving beyond the RPA category, more towards focusing around true automation. And we consider our offering to be an automation platform at this point. When I think about RPA and what most people gravitate towards to in their mind is they think robots. And we have so much more to offer than just that. And it's more than just using those robots to automate processes. It's a way of innovating for customers into the future. And early on when we thought about automation, the concept of it was talked about primarily in the form of optimizing the utilization of labor, right? How do I do more with my people or replace certain activities or functions that they had. But really, it's shifting away from just that. That will stay, of course, but it's also now adding in this concept of how do I create better customer experiences and employee experiences? And how do I use automation to generate net new revenue streams? And that's that's really where this is going as far as a category. And the capabilities of UiPath really have been pushing this forward, I think. And our platform really spans three key areas of innovation. The first is about discovery. How do we leverage the tools like our process mining application to be able to go in and analyze system logs to show you exactly how your processes internally are being executed and then define ways for you to optimize them based on best practices or based on how people that are doing that particular function most efficiently can be then brought across everybody that repeats that same capability. We also have task mining as an example. This allows you to go in and really track and identify a bunch of different processes in the company and say, which ones through the use of AI, could we quantify more ROI or impact if we were to automate them? And to me, that's not just about RPA, that's a true platform that allows you to come in and be able to identify areas of opportunity, areas of innovation, And then that leads into the deployment of the low-code development, document understanding and processing, API automation, all those types of things that kind of help us. So it's that discover, automate, and then the last one is all around operate. And that's where from the tool or from the platform, you're able to extract the insights that you need to be able to adjust processes that are taking too long or where we could remove a human in the loop out of the way to be able to do more or do things even faster. And you can even expand that even further into things like testing capabilities to be able to answer questions around how many test cases have I run? How many have passed or failed on something like an SAP upgrade? There's just so much there across discover, automate, and operate that goes beyond just the concept of the the early phases of RPA with robots. So take me back for maybe for a listener who may not understand this. When you look at processes... You're looking at how people, are you looking at keystrokes? Are you looking at various applications? Like where do you go to get the data? You do. So the first thing you do is you track the process that's in place today, and then you monitor what are the keystrokes or what are the intakes even. 
We use document understanding features to be able to ingest different form factors of data from unstructured and structured sources to be able to pull that in. And then based on how that process is being run by different individuals and how they're interacting with different tools, you can then start to say there's steps that can either be removed or there's steps that can be automated and done by a robot or AI technology that a person doesn't have to be involved in. Or you could see four or five people that run the exact same process, but do that differently and find out what is the most happy path for us to be able to follow and then make sure that that process is followed routinely. And then within that, what are the areas that could be automated so that it's not requiring human labor or the cost associated with it to execute. And where do you gravitate to? What does your ideal customer look like? We have customers across every industry. I would say anybody that needs or has the ability to automate something is a great fit for us. But appeal on that back, Vince, we've got customers in banking and financial services that have reaped tons of opportunity, hundreds of millions of dollars of cost savings annually by leveraging this technology in some large insurance companies, large banks. We have healthcare providers and payers that leverage our technology to automate what has been a very cumbersome and paper-intensive process in the past. But that flows through to manufacturing, customer service organizations inside of tech companies. It's everywhere. The opportunity is really limitless. Yeah, it sounds like it. And you left an incredible career at Microsoft. So what attracted you most? The number one thing was I'd spent 16 years there and loved every minute of it. I truly would not trade that for anything. The joke that I've made so many times, and I think I've even made it with you before, is when Microsoft called being a Seattle kid, it was like the Yankees calling. You, you go and play for them without a doubt, right? Yeah. And it was, <laughs> I couldn't have had the life experiences that I had there, the mentors, the on-the-job learning like that anywhere else. But I wanted to take that knowledge, that experience, and be able to share that in a different way. And what was interesting to me about UiPath is they were, when I started a year ago, really in a congruent place to where we were at with cloud at Microsoft back in 2010, 2011, in that window of time where market was being created, partners were seeing that potential opportunity, but really need a little bit of help and need a little bit of framework for how do they capitalize on it? How do they build a business around it? And so that knowledge and experience I gained of being a part of helping partners go to the cloud on that journey, I've been able to bring a lot of that over here to UiPath and share that. And being able to make that journey here has been really an exciting thing for me to, to, to bring that value over and bring that experience. And so that's really what drove that change. You know, you bring back memories of bringing or trying to bring the partner ecosystem along with us during that path to the cloud. And so I want to ask you in an analogous way here, right? In building your partner and channel ecosystem strategy, why should partners want to work with you and your organization? I think there's a few things that really leap out to me. I think any technology service provider that's looking to work with a vendor should first look at the culture of that vendor in relation to their channel strategy. And here, we're a company that's very committed to the channel. 70-odd percent of our revenue goes through with and to a channel. So it's very much aligned to seeing the channel as a force multiplier or a growth multiplier for us. A lot of the people that are here in senior leadership positions have come from channel-friendly companies. There's a lot of Microsoft DNA here. There's a lot of Dell DNA here. 
And so that's that to me was something that I think was attractive for me to want to join this company because I knew that we could succeed with channel. We very much are. I think the other thing, if I were a channel partner today that I would find attractive about our platform is, you know, all the solutions that I've dealt with, and I've got a history of selling Azure and Office 365 and dynamic CRM and ERP. Even before I came to Microsoft, I sold CRM and ERP within the channel to end customers. I've never seen a product that it's easier to build a business case and quantify the impact as the solution and the platform that we provide today. So when you think about being able to go out into the market and translate value and quantify the impact for your customers, there's nothing even close in my mind in terms of the ability to put numbers behind this that the automation platform can do. So that that to me is another really interesting factor for partners to think about. And I think the third one is we're at this interesting point, kind of like cloud was 10 years ago or 12 years ago, where there's a huge profitability opportunity. This is still a cutting edge technology where there's a price premium for it. Gross margins on services tend to be quite healthy amongst our partners. Being tied to a new segment with innovation technology and a vendor that is where we're at in terms of the analyst reviews, I think is a great bet to place and something that can really help to grow the overall economics of your company, not just for today, but for the future as well. Many organizations are learning to do more with less. And as you think about how you're going to reach your revenue targets this year, I recommend you check out PartnerTap, a founding sponsor of Ultimate Guide to Partnering. PartnerTap's pipeline discovery and co-selling platform will help your channel and sales teams to hit their revenue targets faster even with fewer resources. PartnerTap gives your teams the new automation and partner data you need to source more pipeline and close deals faster with your best partners. You can find out more information at partnertap.com. And what you speak to to me is around professional services, building out value, helping organizations to modernize, transform. Is your ideal partner and I don't mean to put you on a spot here, is it a large advisory? Is it a large systems integrator? Is it smaller systems integrators? Is it all of the above? We have a mix, to be honest. And it's really similar to what I I witnessed at at Microsoft. There's a lot of success with the global systems integrators, for sure. They're, They're definitely out there. They have the capabilities to speak the language of automation and to speak the language of business outcomes, which that is a, a great skill that will help them to be successful. But we also have a lot of boutique partners or automation-specific partners that have found great success, great growth, great health, great profitability as a result of it. And they do tend to buy events towards professional services, managed services, and even some commoditized IP that's being built there. I think the business model is a lot like what we saw around a strong data and AI partner on Azure or a strong dynamics partner. And I would actually say that partners that are in those two cohorts that I just mentioned would be fantastic partners for us. Many, as a matter of fact, many of our top partners I know from the Microsoft days and they, they do have those skills. So yeah, that to me, that's a good logical alignment there. But and when you think a little bit more broadly about what makes them really successful, I think that For the most part, these folks are very good at selling to the C-suite and to the board. They understand 
how to translate technology into business outcomes. When you walk into the bank and you talk to a CTO or a CFO, understanding their business model, their vernacular, the metrics that matter to them, and being able to articulate how the technology that is being provided through automation can match to those goals, I think that's the real secret to success. It also strikes me too, and you start talking about some of these segments like financial services, healthcare, payers, providers, and the like, that there's an opportunity for application software vendors, particularly to embed the technology to help automate the processes. Am I right in that assessment? You are. From a tech a tech vendor standpoint, it's not just on automating the processes, but it's also the connections through APIs, right? Rather than having to go through and do deep technical integration of APIs, you can sit on top with the automation layer and be able to manage the connections between those two systems without nearly as much effort, right? So that's another use case for it. And then there's also the testing element, right? So when you're going to roll out a new product offering or you're going to roll out a new uh, upgrade or, or something of that nature, you want to have it tested the right way. And that's the, the testing platform that we have can really enable that type of activity. You know, Brent, this is the ultimate guide to partnering. And you've been around partners pretty much your entire career, right? Having been a partner, spent 16 years in Microsoft. What do you believe makes a great partner? What does your ultimate partner look like? I don't think my perspective has changed. I think it's the same three core guiding principles that I see here driving success among our top partners as I did at Microsoft. And the first one is you've got to be comfortably uncomfortable, meaning a healthy state of paranoia is something that I've lived by for a long time. My old boss at Microsoft, David Smith, coined that term, and I love it. It's something that is very central to me. And that really revolves around having a comfort with being a continuous learner, having comfort with evolving over time and realizing that what you consider to be a competitive advantage today won't be in 18 to 24 months. And you're going to have to constantly be looking at ways to add more value, reinvent yourself, do things a little bit differently uh, to maintain that level of competitive advantage. The second piece is all about how can you as a technology provider with your knowledge and understanding of customer outcomes, especially now that the buying patterns and the control and the power of the buyer has shifted away a lot from you know, the technical side to the business side, how can you translate with simplicity and elegance what your solution and your offering is going to provide to your end customer and be obsessed with it, absolutely obsessed with it, right? Because it does a couple of things. Not only does it help you win that initial deal because you can speak their language and relate what your value is going to be in their terms, but you can also understand how to measure your impact and then prove that you've delivered upon what you said you were going to do. And that opens up the next door, the second door, the third door, the fourth door, because there's no longer in most cases, these monolithic deployments uh, that are taking place. It's come in and prove yourself, solve one or two problems for me. And when I see that value in the, the realization of it, I'm going to give you the keys to the next door. And you've got to be able to do that. And, and that starts with being customer obsessed and really understanding that business. And that's getting away from the old school generalist business model of being a Swiss army knife to everyone and really pivoting towards having differentiated value and understanding where am I really, really strong? Where do I have um, history and success? And how can I capitalize on that? And I think the third element beyond just being customer, customer obsessed is continuing to learn about what factors 
are driving not just transformation in their business, but potential strain and stress on their business through regulations, competition, a whole bunch of other areas. Because to the degree that you can stay ahead of those types of influencing factors, you're able to be on that tip of the spear of how you're supporting them as a value-added provider to transform and drive advantage over the long term. So it really is just those three things. It's being comfortably uncomfortable and constantly looking for ways to innovate and stay ahead of the curve. It's being customer obsessed and understanding that when you can align your aspirations and your goal to your customers, that's a formula to win. And then that last one is making sure that you're staying ahead of the curve with what your customers are seeing in terms of items or elements that are impacting their business. And you're able to react to those and lead them into new areas as opposed to being drugged along by the customers and hoping that you can provide what they need. I love what you have to say here, Brent. And as I was thinking about your three, I was thinking about how well they weave into what I like to refer to as agility. Because agility, you have to sense, right? You have to sense the factors and you have to be comfortable with the factors, right? You have to be uncomfortable with the uncomfortable. And then those factors are coming to you from customer, like your, your customers are telling you, and then you're translating it with simplicity and being obsessed with the customer to drive the right outcomes for them. Exactly. What about partners that don't get it right? What do you wish you had said to them to get them on the path to success? And what would you say to them now, if you could? You know, I think over the last 10 years, especially whether it's cloud or even some of these more advanced workloads like we're experiencing with automation, the solution provider market, it's crowded. You know, you've got to find a way to be able to differentiate, especially if you want to be able to go out and engage in the vendor's co-sell activities or be a priority in terms of the types of partners that they invest in. I look at many of the vendors today, even us with 6,000 partners, it's crowded. Right? And so if you want to come in, you want to co-sell with a Microsoft, an AWS, a Google, or a UiPath, being able to make sure that you can have value that displaces an incumbent would be where my mind was at. The, the joke I always make is if you want to come in and, and co-sell with a mature vendor, you have to treat it like you've got to displace Derek Jeter at shortstop. Right? They've already got partners they've worked with for a long time that are extremely talented, have a wealth of customers, and are deeply entrenched with their sales force. How are you going to provide something different, something new that they don't have already? And that should be the baseline for how you engage with any vendor. And to me, that that starts with differentiation, right? It's being able to come in and do that. And I think that the second piece is understand how what you provide connects with the challenges your customers are facing. When you go into a bank, for example, and they're dealing with two or three macro level problems, they're talking not just to you. They're talking about three, four, five, maybe even 10 different technologies that in a connected fashion are going to solve those problems that they have. And so having an awareness of where you fit in that equation and potentially even forging relationships with those different technology providers and vendors as well to be able to bring together even either a, a total solution or understanding where you fit into that is really, really important. So many times when we go into a digital transformation opportunity and we're talking heavily about automation, there are four or five factors or four or five other different technology platforms that are connected to what we're delivering. So it's not just about the, the one piece of solution that you have to offer and having an awareness of that and, and knowing how to connect and talk to that, I think is really important too. 
Great nuggets for partners out there, Brent, what you just said about what makes great partners and what partners need to do differently is just in itself an episode. But I'd love to pivot. As you know, I am a big believer in mindset and personal philosophy. We both had the great fortune of spending time with Dr. Mike Gervais, who's been a guest here three times on the podcast. You now have beat him four <laughs> times. And, and about how applying your personal philosophy is just so important to your world, your life, your personal life, and your professional life. How are you applying your personal philosophy to this new role as vice president at UiPath? My personal philosophy, you know, we talked about it before, is better every day. And that's something that, that really helps to drive me and keep me focused as well. And here, as we develop the sector and we drive incredible growth, the last two words of that philosophy, they've become even more important to me than they were before, because the way that I have to think, the time horizon is even shorter. Being better every day meant at Microsoft making small incremental uh, improvements. Here, it means I've got to be able to make sometimes even leaps within a day, right? So I've got to be able to come in and think about how do I go fast, like we talked about before, is one of the core values of UiPath. And so the, the time horizon of this concept of every day has, has changed a little bit for me to where I need to be able to go, not just even faster, but I need to be able to solve bigger challenges in a more efficient way. And to be able to do that, you know, when I think about how I've been able to adjust a little bit, it's all down to prioritization for me. You know, being better every day doesn't mean you do everything in a day. It means that you have the ability to know what matters the most in that moment and be able to prioritize that and devote all of your attention and focus to that to make sure you're successful with it. And so this combination of being able to prioritize things and be able to move just a little bit faster with bigger ambitions every day, that's that's the big change that I've had to kind of make as an adjustment for me. And then the last piece is I would say being better isn't necessarily just about your agenda. You have to bring others along collectively to be better. And that includes ensuring that you stay open-minded to learn. And it's not just about you thinking through to solve the problem. It's, it's balancing that element of how do I leverage others in that same vein. So that's, that's really the adaptation of Better Every Day over this last 12 or 13 months for me. I wonder, as I listen to you, does it sometimes mean that you have to go slower in order to go faster? Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't know that it's so much about being slower as it is about being more deliberate to take the inputs that you need to get it right. You know, we recently announced in a launch in May, a complete redesign to our channel economics across incentives, discounting, deal registration, all of those elements. And that was really uncomfortable for a lot of our folks. Our field tellers had become accustomed to the structure of that. Our partners understood how to monetize their, their business around the structure of our discounting, but it was creating challenges for us financially. And we needed to make a significant change to that. And I had to be thoughtful about making sure that I got that message right, because I would wind up wallowing with a lot of people on the why without having that well thought out quantifiable justification for change. And once we nailed that down and understood that, the flow of change and the bringing people along just become infinitely easier to do. I think Dr. Mike would be proud. I think you've taken your personal philosophy and the way you've applied it here. It's just, it's a great case study. Thank you. Appreciate it. 
So we're in the midst of 2023. I mean, it's flying by like that rocket ship you talked about, right? And it's in high gear. What words can you share with our listeners to help them optimize for their success in 2023? I think the first thing that I've tried to stay centered around is this current economic climate won't last forever. It's a bit scary at times. There's always the headlines of what's happening in the tech sector. But I think like most things, it's a great reminder and an opportunity for us to focus on what sets us us apart, what we're great at, and where we can add value into the market. And I think that that's a chance for us to recenter ourselves around that. And that would be probably the biggest takeaway. The next one would be, where can I innovate next? What is the next chapter for me? Because tomorrow is going to come no matter what, no matter what the situation is today, tomorrow is going to hit us. And so that evolution that I talked about before in that healthy state of paranoia, I would say, what does 2024 look like in 2025? And what's your business plan? How are you right now building to be successful in that phase? And maybe it makes sense to have one or two different scenarios inside of there, but I would be thinking about now, what does that look like? How am I going to define success? How am I going to measure success? And then the last thing I'd say is we're also in kind of a unique moment where unfortunately, based on what's happened in the tech sector, there are a lot of people out there um, looking for their next opportunity, their next great challenge. And I think it's an interesting moment where as you think about what your next area of innovation is going to be, you can start to source some of that talent. I'm personally right now going through and looking at all of the colleagues that have been impacted and proactively reaching out to them to look at how I can bring them into our plan, into our approach to make sure that, you know, we're capitalizing on um, the talent that's out there because I think it's kind of an interesting moment right now where there are, there are folks out there that are incredibly talented, have a wealth of experience and can add a tremendous amount of value to you. I would be proactively capturing that. Wow. Really great. Great words of, of advice. Sounds like you're hiring as well. So maybe we should put that out there in the show notes. <laughs> I've just staffed three people in the last week. I love to hear that. And then there are some great, talented people out there. So so great to see that you're doing that, Brent. First of all, I want to thank you. I knew this would be a great episode and I really enjoyed this conversation with you today. And I want to thank you because I know you've been super busy. I know you just came back from a big trip. And uh, delighted to have you back. One thing I'll say, five-timer gets a robe. You become a member of the five-timer club, and there's only two people in that. So we're going to have to have you back, Brent. Oh, I definitely want that robe. I'm coming back for sure now. All right. I love it. Thank you so much, Brent, for joining us today on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So there you have it. Another amazing guest joins Ultimate Guide to Partnering. And I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Odds are, if you're a technology partner executive and hearing my voice, chances are you too are looking to accelerate your success through partnerships. I mean, let's face it, we all have seen partnerships that look good on paper, but never live up to their expected results. There are a lot of reasons why partnerships fail. And at Ultimate Partnerships, we help you get it right by applying a proven set of best practices and framework. That's used by leading partners working with Microsoft and other technology giants. If you want to learn more, follow the link in the show notes or visit our website at ultimateguidetopartnering.com. 
thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Minzione. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and facebook.com slash ultimateguidetopartnering. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.